story of Elisha. And um, see how God used him to continue the work, the prophetic work that started with Elijah. So we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 20 in 2 Kings chapter 3, and then we'll have a word of prayer together, and we'll get into our lesson for today. So 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. So just real quickly, of course, um, his, his parents are um, Ahab and Jezebel. Verse 4, And Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs, and a hundred thousand, excuse me, a hundred thousand lambs, and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. It came to pass, when Ahab was dead, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, The way through the wilderness of Edom. And the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And they fetched a compass of seven days' journey. And there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called thee, these three kings together, to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Well, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, for whom I stand. Surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And he came to pass, or it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city. 
and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just the leading and guiding, directing of, of you, Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me this morning as I teach this lesson. Open our hearts, prepare our hearts, just draw each of us closer, Lord, to you. And as always, Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your mercy, and we're thankful for your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we learned some things here with regards to Elisha and the ministry of Elisha. So again, last week we ended with the uh, Elisha, Elijah being taken to heaven in a, in a chariot of fire, and Elisha has picked up the mantle. And uh, we see here the first first time that uh, Elijah here is going to be used to deal with some of the issues that were pending in that particular day. So the title, though, to this, this lesson this morning is God Will Take Care of You. Because we see in the life of King Jehoshaphat, uh, kind of makes the same mistake again that he made with Ahab um, back there in 1 Kings chapter number, I think it's chapter number uh, 22. Um, but Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, said this of this text. It would, be, it would be often bad with us if God did not take more care of us for both soul and body than we take care of ourselves. In other words, oftentimes the Lord's watching out for us when we're not watching out for ourselves. And that's really a good thing, and I'm glad for that. And, uh, and in the decisions sometimes that we make, are not always the best decisions. Uh, and it's good to know that, um, that God's not going to cast us off. Um, Peter, First Peter said, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And those, that's, a wonderful, that's a wonderful scripture out of, the, out of the New Testament. It just reminds us of the goodness of God in our lives. Or in 2 Timothy, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. There are times in our lives when our faith fails, when we're not where we ought to be. But God is always there to see us through lessons that we learn, uh, moments that, we're, that God places us in. And we should be thankful that, that, that with regards to, to the Lord. But Je Jehoram, he's the son of Ahab, and uh, he's, gonna, he's the king now of Samaria. And... Um, in verse 2, it says, he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother. I don't know if that's a positive thing or not a positive thing. When, when you're likened unto to Ahab and you're likened unto Jezebel, um, you don't have to really improve that much uh, to not be as evil as those two were. And uh, we find here, the scriptures tell us that what he did was he took the image of Baal and um, that his father had made, and he put it away. He didn't destroy it. He kind of like he kind of like put it away, got it out of out of sight. But it doesn't seem as if he he um, caused the kingdom to turn from Baal worship. We see that as we read through this. 
or, or the prophets, he, he just, maybe, maybe because he wanted um, Jehoshaphat to team up with him, or maybe it was Jehoshaphat who, it's not really in the scriptures, who, who said, yeah, I'll team up with you, but you've got to get rid of this image of Baal because I'm not into worshiping Baal. Um, so I'm not really sure here, but, but we'll give him one positive mark that he put the image away, but it doesn't seem like he did much more than that. Because it says, look at what it says in verse 3. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, which made Israel to sin and departed not therefrom. So who, when, when after the reign of Solomon, Solomon had a son whose name was Rehoboam. And then there was, like a, there was a civil war, really, that took place in Israel. And the nation split. And so Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took the throne. But in the split, Jeroboam is now, he is the king of the ten northern tribes. And um, Jeroboam uh, was worried that the Israelites might return to Jerusalem and might once again want Rehoboam to be their king. So he did something to try to prevent that. Anybody know what he did? If you don't know, we're going to turn back to 1 Kings. We're going to find out what happened. We're going to read it anyhow, whether someone knows it or not. But what, what did he do to prevent the Israelites to traveling back to Jerusalem? Yeah, well, actually, he made two golden calves. And go ahead and turn, but you're right on there, Jim. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter number 12. Here's the sins of Jeroboam in 1 Kings chapter 12. And pick it up in verse 28. 1 Kings 12, 28. We'll back up a little bit further, verse 25. The Bible says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt there, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. So I'll just stop there. He didn't want that. He, did, he didn't want them going back to, to, to the house of David, back to Jerusalem. It says, if this people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. So I'll just stop there. So geographically, Bethel is near Jerusalem. And then Dan is up north. And you can, today you can go to, to Dan, and you can go to the spot where they believe that the, one of the golden calves were. And I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It was actually placed in a spot where they've done other excavations 
where there were a multitude of gods there, a multitude of religions. So it was just kind of like one more religion added to, to, to this. And it says in verse 30, this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Well, that's not good. He kind of looked for, <laughs> he kind of looked for the riffraff and he made them the priests. So he's, he's made idols. So he's broken God's law. He's put the one up north and the one near Jerusalem to keep the people from going back to worshiping in the temple and worshiping uh, biblically the one true living God. And then the, the, the priests that he, that he appoints, they're not Levites, which the scriptures said the priests were to come from the tribe of Levi. They're the lowest of the people. And I'm sure that he paid them and, and uh, so that whatever you know, he said that he wanted, they would... Uh, it was, it's like Paul wrote to, to Timothy, and he said they'll heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. And so I'm sure Jeroboam said, you're just going to, this is what you're going to preach to the people, and uh, whatever I tell you to preach, just go ahead and preach. And, and so, verse 32, Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so... He did in Bethel sacrifices unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. Now verse 33. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the 8th month, even the month which he had devised of his own heart. And as I was reading that early this morning, reviewing my notes, I underlined that because that often is the problem, uh, the issue uh, in our lives. And, and if we go astray, it's because of our own heart. You know, you've, you've all heard the saying, follow your heart. Well, that is not a biblical saying. In fact, the Bible teaches you to be careful that you don't follow your heart. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah said, or casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Well, Jeroboam did the opposite. He just came up with this plan in his heart that would work for him and for what he wanted. And so now you can go back to our study this morning in Second Kings. So uh, after Jeroboam, you've got Ahab, you've got Jezebel, they're wicked uh, Baal worshipers. Um, by now, Ahab is dead. He was killed in battle. We looked at that. Um, we looked at um, his son who died in, uh, Ahazi who died in chapter one. He fell through the, he fell through the lattice and, and he died. And now you have Jehoram, also a son who is now taken over and, and he's reigning. But it kind of gives you an idea of who this guy is. And so then we find out in verse 4, this fellow Misha, he's the king of Moab. Where did the Moabites come from? Anybody know? The Moabites. They've been around a long time in the Bible. The Moabites. Somebody other than Jim Atherton. If nobody else knows Jim, I'll call on you, all right? Who are the Moabites? 
All right, nobody wants to take a guess? The Amorites, the Moabites, yes. They come from Ishmael. No, a good guess, though. Go ahead. The daughters of Lot. Do you remember when they escaped out of Sodom and they went up into the mountains and then there was an ancestral relationship and um, that is uh, how the Moabites came into being. And uh, at this particular moment and at this particular time uh, in Israel, the Moabites are uh, giving tribute to Jehoram. And, um, and that was often the way they did to keep the peace. So if you want to have peace, they said, this is what you do. Said, you give us 100,000 lambs every year, and you give us 100,000 rams every year. And so that's what they did. So then they decided, hey, you know, um, the, we're not going to do this any longer. Ahab died, and uh, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Maybe he thought, well, you know, Ahab, I don't want to mess with Ahab because... This guy's a bad dude, but uh, I don't know about his son. You know, he might not do anything if I, if I kind of uh, show a little bit of uh, resistance here. And um, who knows why, but maybe, maybe that was the reputation that, that Jehoram had. And um, so, verse 6, and now we get into really the first point, a disastrous decision. And much of this lesson is going to revolve around not Jehoram, but Jehoshaphat, who is the king of the southern kingdom, the two tribes. Because he's, made, he's going to make a, the same mistake with Jehoram that he made with Ahab. So in verse 6, Jehoram, and uh, he numbers all of Israel, wants to know what, uh, how many men that he's got there to fight in this battle. And... Um, he knows perhaps that maybe he doesn't have enough to beat the king of Moab. So he goes and he sends to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying the king of Moab rebelled. Will you go with me to battle? And um, here is uh, first, you know, with regards to, to um, on your first sub point, the council of man. I really kind of already hit that. That's why I have King Jeroboam after that. We saw... Two generations before, King Jeroboam, King Ahab, and you've got here King Jehoram. Really, that's the council of man. Man coming up with man's own ideas, whether it's religion or whether it's whatever your plans are. A couple of verses, Proverbs 19.3, for instance, says, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. By the way, all the kings of the northern tribe, this was their philosophy. None of the kings of the northern tribe were ever godly. They all came up with their own ideas, their own thoughts. Um, and you're going to see later on one of the things, when, when the plan looks like it's going to fail, what does Jehoram do? He blames God. Well, it must be God's fault. But the second sub-point with regards to Jehoshaphat, and that's the carelessness of man. And that's what you and I should learn from this, to be careful in the decisions that we make, especially if we make them quickly. Because Jehoshaphat doesn't even think about this. He just goes ahead, it seems, and makes the decision. And it's the same thing he did with Ahab. In fact, I want you to see it. So, 
So uh, let me finish reading verse 7. I'm going to start from the beginning. And he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab that rebelled against me, wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I'll go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. So we'll just stop there. Well, wait a minute. That's not even true. I mean, from the fact, from the point that they were Israelites, that would be true. But they worshipped a different God. They had a whole different religious system. It, it, and, and Jehoshaphat should have thought about that. Uh, go back to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. So here's Jehoshaphat. The second time he's done exactly the same thing. He almost got killed the first time he made this decision. Uh, 2 Kings, uh, or 1 Kings chapter 22. And uh, it says in verse 1, They continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. It came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Romoth and Gilead is ours? And we be still, take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Will thou go with me to battle in Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered all the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it unto the hand of the king. But these, these, were, these were all um, Ahab's prophets. These weren't godly prophets. And Jehoshaphat, at least at this point, he realized, Well, wait a minute, what about a prophet of the Lord in verse 7? And there is a prophet of the Lord. His name is Micaiah. And uh, Ahab doesn't want, he doesn't want Micaiah, he doesn't want Micaiah to prophesy because Ahab will say later on in this chapter, he says, oh, there's, there's one, his name is Micaiah, but everything I do, Micaiah says, is wrong. I like my prophets better. Everything that I, that I do, they say is right. And so Micaiah says, he kind of, Teases with them at first. Says, yeah, go ahead. Go right on to the battle. Go right on. And, and Ahab's smart enough to, wait a minute. If Micaiah says to go, what Micaiah really means is to not go. And then Micaiah says, yeah, if you go, this is not going to work out good for you. Well, and anyhow, they go anyhow. They disregard it. And that's how Ahab gets, he's going to get killed. And, um, and, and this is where Ahab says to his, he says, he says, listen, I'm going to take all my kingly clothes off and kind of be incognito. And Jehoshaphat, he'll have all of his kingly clothes in. And everybody will know he's the king. And Jehoshaphat goes along with this. I don't, I don't know. Jehoshaphat doesn't seem like he's the brightest bulb on the tree. And, uh, and so the enemy, the, the commandment of the enemy is the Syrians, forget about the troops, just go for the king. Kill the king. And so there Jehoshaphat, he made this decision. He teams up with Ahab and his army and uh, doesn't really follow the leading of the Lord. And fortunately, uh, God protects him and God spares his life. And um, not so good with Ahab. An arrow kills Ahab. Um, all right, go back now to, to 2 Kings. 
All right, so the carelessness of men. So here's Jehoshaphat. He's doing the same thing. Have you ever, you don't have to answer by raised hand or amen, but have you ever made the same mistake twice? <laughs> well, that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. So maybe I shouldn't be so hard on Jehoshaphat. Yes, do you want to say something? Yes, when David numbered the people, um, there was a plague. Remember that and when David numbered the people, um, in fact, it says that Satan, uh, I'm just paraphrasing, but Satan rose up and caused David to number the, the people. And so why was that a sin? Bill's exactly right. Why is that, was that a sin? Why were kings not supposed to do that? Well, they're God's people, but there's a specific Think about it. Why would God not want them to, to go ahead? Right. He didn't want them to think, well, I've got X amount of soldiers and, and I'll win this battle and uh, because we've got more guys than they've got. Yes. Yeah, you're thinking of the story of Gideon and that God whittled the army down to 300 men and they won the battle and out at the well. You can go there in Israel too to see the well where Gideon was at. That's a pretty cool place. Um, yeah, but that's just another example in the Bible. That the, the victory, the battle is the Lord's. The battle's not ours. And um, it's not that God doesn't want us to think about things and plan things and, 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 and all of that. Uh, but... What Bill had said was right. The king, King Jehoram, he numbered the army. He shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done that. Um, anyhow, Jehoshaphat makes this, this same situation here, or same decision that he made earlier. It repeats the mistake. And, um, you know, I put on our handout 1 Corinthians 13, 11, which says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I thought about that first because children are careless. Children will make the same mistake over and over again sometimes if they don't think about the consequences. But you and I as children of God can make the same mistake. We don't think about the consequences, the ramifications. And um, really here, except for the fact that these two kings are both Israelites. They're unequally yoked spiritually. And um, this is where Jehoshaphat finds himself in trouble again. So, but, but we're, we should be thankful that when we make the same mistake again and again, that God is faithful, um, even sometimes when, when we're not as faithful as we ought to be. So we see this carelessness here. Um, verse 8, and he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered the way through the wilderness of Edom. So let me just stop there for a minute. Now, the Israelites had been through Edom before. And Edom is a desolate, desolate place. And so it's kind of like desert area. Uh, the, the Israelites, when they traveled from Egypt, went through Edom. Um, but now... Having said that, this is a wilderness. Verse 9, 
So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey. And there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. They knew there's no water in Edom. Edom was known to be a dry land. They haven't prepared for this. So this kind of just lends itself to this kind of spur of the moment, let's do this kind of thing without thinking it through. And the king of Israel, Jehoram, alas, the Lord, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Ah, look what's happened here. You know, we're going to, we're going to die by the Moabites, and it's God's fault. And um, that's often sometimes what happens when our plans are kind of laid out in our own heart, and we don't seek the heart of the Lord, and then we make these decisions, and we all oh, must be God that's done this, when it's really our own doing. And so these kings, they find themselves in this situation here. And it doesn't look good. What are we going to do? You know, they didn't have enough water for their army. They didn't have enough water for the, the beasts that they brought along with them. And um, this isn't good. It's all part of this disastrous decision that they made. But then verses 11 and 12, a decisive decision. Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So let's give him some credit, just like he did back there in 1 Kings. Comes to his senses and says, well, wait a minute. You know, let's ask a prophet of the Lord. You know, we found ourselves in this situation, and when and if we make the same mistake twice, or even if we make a bad decision once, uh, and we haven't inquired of the Lord, well, what do we do? Just stop and start to talk to the Lord about it. And so Jehoshaphat, that's what he wants to do. And it says, And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Well, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Well, what does that mean, he poured water on the hands of Elijah? What is it saying there? He poured water on the hands of Elijah. Well, I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> what do you think it means? He poured water. So this king's servant says, listen, all right, there's a prophet of the Lord here. This guy, his name is Elisha. And apparently Elisha has gone with the whole army. And, and this, is, this is Elisha's reputation. Elisha's reputation with regard to Elijah was he poured water on Elisha, Elijah's hands. So what would you think that, that would mean? Well, well, we know he was close to him. You're right. But, and you're right on, it's the right path you're on here. Yes. His protege, he, he, he was the second man. He served Elijah. He was his servant. That's why the, the mantle of the Lord then fell upon Elisha. Before, that's the old saying, before you can lead, you need to learn to follow. And Elisha had learned to follow, but now he's the leader. And um, so that was his reputation, that he was, he's not only a servant of the Lord, he had been a servant of the prophet Elijah. And by now, at this point, Elijah was well known. But Elisha's not that well known. I mean, Elijah, Elijah is gone. Elijah, though, had a reputation. 
I mean, I'm sure everybody heard about what happened on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and God calling down fire, or Elijah calling down fire from heaven. But Elisha doesn't have this reputation yet. Uh, he's just the servant of Elijah. And in verse 12, and Jehoshaphat said, and, and no greater words could be said of someone, the word of the Lord is with him. You know what he's saying? This is Elisha. He's a man of God. And, and uh, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So that's a decisive decision. Let's talk to the man of God here about this. Let's inquire of the Lord. And um, thankfully they came here to their senses. And to the carefulness of man. The word of the Lord is with him. The psalmist said, make me go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Or the psalmist said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. So be in the word of God. And, know, and, and when you're making decisions, what does God's word say? And where, how is God directing you? Don't be like Jehoram or like Ahab or like uh, Jeroboam, who it was just in, the old, uh, just in their own imagination of their hearts. They just came up with their plans and the purpose of life. No, it's God who's to give us the purpose and the path and the direction in our lives. And then as we finish up here, we're just about out of time, that deliberate decision in verses 13 through 20. Elisha said, here's Elisha, he's, he says this. Elisha said unto the king of Israel, so can you imagine, this is kind of a standoff. What have I got to do with you? It's kind of like, I don't want anything to do with you, Jehoram. I said, I, I have no use for you. And um, go to your own prophets. You know, go to the ones that tell you whatever you want to hear. If you've got a problem, go to them. Now you come to me when you're desperate? It's kind of gotten in his face here. Go to the prophets of your mother, Jezebel's prophets. The king of Israel said, No, for the, nay, for the Lord hath called thee, these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely. Were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I wouldn't even look at you. Wouldn't even see, I'd be just looking right past you. It's pretty bold, because this is the king he's talking to. And now it says, but bring me a minstrel. And they played music, and the minstrel played, and the hand of the Lord came upon him. And... Uh, there's a whole lesson there, just the blessing of, of listening to music and letting God speak to your heart and, and uh, through, through, his, through music. Then saith the Lord, make this, now don't miss this, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain, that the valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. So don't miss that there. Dig these ditches and this very dry and arid land where you have no water and everyone has got parched lips by this point and there's no water for your cattle. But what's going to happen is these ditches are all going to be filled with water. But you're not going to see wind, neither are you going to see rain. I'm not going to bring a storm in and have it rain to fill these ditches. Well, then how are we going to have water in these ditches? 
and verse 18. And this is really just a light thing in the sight of the Lord. In other words, this is no big deal for me, God's saying. It's just not a big deal. And, uh, you know, for us, you and I, we run into things in life where it's a big deal. Some, some problem, some issue. Maybe it's a bad decision. Maybe it's just circumstances of life. But there are no big deals for God. Amen? I mean, it's just, it's no big deal. And I'll deliver the Moabites into your hand. And you'll smite every city. And um, choice cities. And all the trees, you'll cut them down in their land and stop their wells of water. In other words, this will be a complete victory. So in the morning, when they all got up, there was water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. It didn't rain. The water, the, the valleys are filled with water. It's just a miracle of God. Perhaps God broke open the the earth, and however God did it, the, these ditches are full of water. So, verse 21, the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them. They gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border, and they rose up early in the morning, and the sun shone upon the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. Why would you think the Moabites, why would you think the Moabites thought it was blood as opposed to water. Why would you think that? Well, let me ask you this question. Was there water in Edom? No water in Edom. The Moabites didn't know the plan of God. They don't know what the plan of God is. But there's, and there's no water in Edom, so they get up in the morning and they look across and they see this valley full of ditches and it looks red to them, I suppose. Maybe it's the rising of the sun, maybe the soil was red. So, what, so they think as you read on, this isn't water because they didn't expect there to be water. There is no water there. So for them, the last thing they're thinking of is, is this isn't water. That's why they said in verse 23, this is blood. They must have all killed one another, they're thinking. The, the, the northern tribe and um, the southern tribes, they must have gotten angry with one another. They must have smitten one another. Now for, let's go ahead and attack them and wipe out what's left. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up in verse 24, smote the Moabites, so they fell before them. But they went forward, smiting the Moabites, even in their country, they went right into the country. They, in verse 25, they beat down their cities. It was just a devastating victory or devastating defeat for the Moabites. And when the king, here's the desperation of the ungodly, verse 26. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even unto the king of Edom. But they could not. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and he offered him up for a burnt offering upon the wall. He thinks, well, I'll just take probably that which was dearest to him, his oldest son, and I'll offer him up as a human sacrifice. And hopefully, hopefully that will appease our gods and I'll be saved. There was great indignation against Israel. And they departed from him and they returned to their own land. Wow. 
So we see here the counsel of the prophet, Elisha. Okay, he tells them what's going to happen. He's the man of God. He confronts the ungodly king. But we also see the care of God. Despite poor decisions and all poor, this, poor planning, God still took care of them. And just in the conclusion, despite the ill-conceived plan, of plan, God enabled a victorious outcome over the Moabites. And we're reminded that God is a merciful and long-suffering God. He's a God who loves us and infinitely cares for us, even when we don't love him and care for him as we should. A loving God who will intervene and corrects us despite our poor choices. And so we see in the life of Jehoshaphat, he's saved again from decisions and choices. And so let's be sure that we learn from these lessons that when we make choices and decisions, that we're seeking God's guidance and God's direction. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.